If you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I highly recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking logistics. We're talking about the thing that's behind the scenes. People don't really talk about it. It doesn't get a lot of blog posts, doesn't get a lot of attention online or anything. But if you don't do it right, it will sink your company, and it's also something to definitely be thinking about, even just as a designer, as you're putting games together. Be already thinking about the logistics and how this thing is going to come together as a product, because I promise you, publishers are thinking about this first and foremost. And so when you pitch them a game, they're already thinking about it. And we're talking to Sarah Perry, a freelancer in the world of logistics and customer service and, and helping companies make sure that they can get games out of China, out of the manufacturer and into uh, game stores and into different countries and onto people's tables. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really glad to have you here. Now, you're a person, full disclosure, that I hired a while back to help <laughs> me get all my campaigns straightened out. I was struggling in a mighty way. I had so many projects that were finishing at the same time and all coming out of the manufacturer around the same time and just so many spreadsheets. And I am not a spreadsheet guy. And so I reached out to my good friend, Mr. Peter C. Hayward over at Jellybean Games. And his first thing was like, you need, you need to talk to Sarah. And uh, it, it turned into, you need to hire Sarah to help you figure all this stuff out. And I'm so glad that I did. Uh, it was money very well spent. And we'll, we'll talk about my, uh, my recommendations as far as hiring freelancers for this kind of stuff in a little bit. But uh, yeah, really appreciate all your work with my personal campaigns and all the things that I've been uh, working on. And I'm just really pumped to pick your brain a little bit about the best practices, about the nuances, about the things that, that people need to be aware of if they're going to run a Kickstarter campaign or even if they're just going to design games and don't even want to worry about business at all. They still need to be thinking about this kind of thing. But before we get into it, who we are, who are you? How'd you get in game design? All that kind of thing. Um, well, I have been in game design and just like the general tabletop uh, sphere since I first went to college. So I got really, really interested into board games and RPGs when I was in high school, but nobody else in my like immediate friend group was interested in them. Um, but when I went to college, our, uh, our college had like a specific board game and design minor which was super exciting. It was like I could go to college and get a minor in actually like designing board games, which was super exciting for me. So I got into that. And through that program, I was able to get funding to go to cons and meet other designers and meet publishers. And my, I guess, games career has kind of snowballed since then. Very cool. Now, where did you go to college? I went to the University of Montevallo in Montevallo, Alabama. 
That's right. I remember that now. Now, are you from <laughs> Alabama? Am I talking to a fellow Alabamian right now? You are, since I was a in about eighth grade. So my dad was in the army and we traveled around a lot, but, uh, from eighth grade on, I've been in Alabama. Well, very cool. You know, I get to talk to so many people through this podcast from all over the world, (laughs) Asia, Australia, Europe, North America, all these places. And uh, also apparently today I get to talk to someone from the foreign country of Alabama, which is very foreign to some people. (laughs) Uh, And so anyway, really appreciate you coming on the show. And, uh, you've also got a game, Uh, on Kickstarter right now from Weird Giraffe Games. And so I think you're a great person to talk about this because you don't only understand it from the business side, you also understand it from the game design side, from the publishing company side, from all these different angles. And so I'm really just interested to talk about these different things to be thinking about as a game designer, as a publisher, uh, as a freelancer. And so, yeah, really excited. Uh, And before we get into it, let's get a good like working definition. When we say logistics, I feel like that's a huge idea. It's a huge concept. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about the board game space, what does that word logistics mean exactly? So logistics typically means the, all of the organizing from getting the game from the manufacturer to game stores or to somebody's table. So a lot of that is revolved around um, shipping primarily. So it's a lot of coordinating boats that are carrying things to fulfillment centers that are going to be shipped out through things like the USPS or FedEx. Um, And then also dealing with uh, like imports and VAT and stuff from different countries. Okay, very cool. And now why is it important? Why is this something that deserves its own podcast episode? Why is this something that people need to be thinking about, whether they're a publisher or just a designer? Why is this important? Um, I think you said it really well in the beginning, like logistics is something that can really sink or float uh, your project. So a lot of people, like it's really easy to underestimate how much shipping is going to cost or how much time shipping is going to take up. And uh, the, the time that it takes to get from the manufacturer to your customer is really going to affect how well it does on the market and how well it's received by the customers that bought it, whether that be pre-orders or Kickstarter. Um, and then the shipping price is so huge. Like when you run a Kickstarter, you need to already have your shipping plan ready because you need to factor those prices into how much the game is actually going to cost and factor that into your Kickstarter goal so that you can make sure things are actually covered and your Kickstarter is actually going to be profitable. Yeah, absolutely. And just from personal experience, shipping and fulfillment, logistics, all that kind of thing, it takes up a monumental percentage of the overall money that goes into getting a product or getting a a game funded and then into people's hands. Uh, It's a massive percentage. It's way more than I ever realized way back when before I got into it. And even now it continues to be more than I anticipate, (laughs) uh, which is obviously another issue and why hiring someone might be a good idea. uh, So you don't make a a mistake. And, you know, honestly, there's been a lot of campaigns that did phenomenally well on Kickstarter, but didn't do so well afterwards because maybe they had 5,000 backers and then they made a $3 mistake when it comes to shipping and three times 5,000 turns into a $15,000 problem. And you know, mm-hmm. the, the numbers just get exponentially crazier as you make more mistakes or as you make bigger mistakes, even just by a dollar or two 
on the shipping or fulfillment side. And there's been a lot of companies that have had to go back to their backers and it's kind of embarrassing. You've, they've had to say, hey, I know I already charged you shipping. I know I charged you eight bucks. It was really $15. And so can you pay shipping again? You know, And they've had to do these things. Otherwise, they didn't have the money or it would have bankrupted their company. And so you mentioned perception, basically, of understanding that logistics can not only mess with your money, but just mess with the perception uh, of your mm-hmm. customers uh, as far as how did they receive the game? Was it all dinged up and was the box all messed up and was it way too expensive? Did it never show up at all? How, you know, <laughs> things get lost in the mail. And so let's talk about that for a moment. What are some of the things that can happen in, in this situation that can mess up uh, the perception that backers have, that customers have, that we just want to be aware of right at the beginning? And then we'll get more into kind of the, the bigger picture of the overall like logistics of like, what does it take to get a game from the factory to the customer? But what are some of the things you want to be aware of, even on the front end, like maybe when it comes to determining which fulfillment center to contract out with or that kind of, what what should I be thinking Mm -hmm. about to make sure the perception is as good as possible? Um, One of the things that I think is the most important is trying to get the best shipping quote you can before you actually run your Kickstarter. So getting a quote that is as close to what the actual cost will be um, as close as you can possibly get. So that is really going to rely on knowing what your final product is going to look like. So if you can get, typically it's the dimensions of the final box and then the weight, you can usually get pretty good quotes on that. So if you're able to get that information ahead of time and get really accurate quotes ahead of time, then you can make sure that you're, charging the right amount of shipping in your Kickstarter campaign before it even launches and building that into your budget. And that'll help uh, avoid the problem that you were saying of saying shipping is going to cost this much and then coming back later and saying, actually, it costs this much. Can you add more to your pledge? Um, That is probably one of the most valuable things um, that I think you can do ahead of time. And then also knowing and projecting what you want your schedule to look like. So if you know this is how much time roughly it should take to get the product printed at a manufacturer, then trying to figure out how long does that shipping process, like how long is the shipping process going to be? And then if you have an idea of how long you want it to take, like say I want from the time it's printed to the time it's at people's tables, I don't want it to be more than three or four months. Then knowing that time frame, you can start reaching out to different fulfillment partners and getting quotes based on that time frame in addition to your dimensions and your weight of the game. Yeah, that's definitely something to keep in mind and understanding that the slower something is, the cheaper it is. Mm-hmm. And so is it okay for it to take a month or maybe a little longer to get to your customers, get to your backers? If it's okay, then you're going to save some money or really your customers are going to save money, assuming you're charging mm-hmm. the correct uh, amount for shipping. But if you need to get the, the game to people within two weeks, three weeks, I mean, you're going to pay a little bit extra. And so being aware of that and why deadlines are, are so pivotal to have in this and making sure you're hitting deadlines with everything. Mm-hmm. And obviously sometimes things are out of control. Sometimes a worldwide pandemic messes up everything, <laughs> but under normal circumstances. Uh, And so let's get a, oh, another thing is also research uh, as far as like the fulfillment company or the shipper and talking to other companies, Mm -hmm. other people who have worked with them. And one of the main questions to ask is, okay, how many lost packages did you have? Okay. How Mm -hmm. many boxes did you have to replace? Because they didn't really. How responsive is their customer support? 
Yeah, that's oh, that's huge. Because if it takes multiple days to get a response back, mm-hmm. then that's you know, every day it takes is another day that it takes, right? And so everything keeps getting pushed back further and further. That's something I've run into, especially if you're working with uh, someone in a totally different time zone, for instance, in China, where the t- where the working hours are very different than where I live. And so basically, every every time I send an email, I'm adding another day to how long things are going to take because they're not going to see it until what is basically my next day. And so, yeah, definitely something to think about. Um, but yeah, talking to other people who have worked with different companies and getting their honest feedback and then making an informed decision goes a very long way. But let's um, let's do like a, a quick overview. Let's talk about manufacturer all the way to a gaming table. What are what are all the different steps along the way? Because I feel like it may be more, might be a little more complicated than people even understand. So there are two different kind of ways that you can approach fulfillment. And one of them is working directly with boats and freights. And then one of them is working through your fulfillment partner where you're kind of coordinating at the top level. And then the fulfillment partner is organizing the freights themselves. So I typically work uh, with the second option, um, working kind of more on the top level, coordinating with the fulfillment partners, and then they handle Um, direct freighting. So uh, speaking to that option, the general life cycle of a product, um, it starts at the manufacturer. So at that point, you should already know who your fulfillment partner is going to be. Um, You should already have approximate quotes by then. Um, And then once the game is actually printed, you can start coordinating between your manufacturer and your fulfillment partner. Um, And your fulfillment partner is the person that is going to be receiving the games, packaging them in shipping packages and boxes, and then actually shipping them out to the backers and the customers. Uh, So at that point, you're coordinating between uh, the fulfillment partner and the manufacturer, and you're making sure everybody knows exactly how many copies needs to get sent where, and then the method that they should be shipped, um, and then... There's a lot of paperwork and uh, carton markers and labels and intricate details that go into that process. And from there, uh, the fulfillment partner is typically going to be scheduling freights uh, to move games to all the various places they need to go. And that freighting process is what takes probably the longest out of the whole fulfillment process. So it's pretty average to see boats take two to three months. And especially right now with the pandemic affecting shipping rates, boats are not unreliable um, in their shipping time, but they are definitely taking longer and facing more unexpected delays than they normally would be. So for example, um, I've seen a project that has taken uh, like five months um, to actually get from the manufacturer to the fulfillment partner just because uh, the the shipping delays that the pandemic has caused and all the port disruptions. Uh, but once the games are actually on the freights and they're moving towards where they need to go, at that point, once they get to the fulfillment partner, they are repackaged however they're supposed to be. So uh, according to the order details for each backer, And once they're repackaged, typically from getting to port to actually shipping out to backers, that process takes about a week. 
Um, and then once they've been repackaged, they're shipped out and then backers get them typically within two to four weeks, but it depends on the shipping method that you're using. Gotcha. Okay, let's uh, let's go back and we'll just kind of break some things mm-hmm. down individually and talk some specifics, talk some nuances, talk maybe some failures and things that uh, <laughs> didn't go as well as, as you or I had hoped, depending on the uh, different processes. Uh, let's talk about at the manufacturer. All right, so mm-hmm. I am talking to them. What are some of the things I need to be thinking about when I'm contacting the manufacturer, even before the game is printed? Um, so things that you would need to be talking to the manufacturer about ahead of time would definitely be trying to get um, a good idea of what the final game is going to look like. Uh, Because, like I mentioned, that's really going to help you plan for which shipping options you should be using. So it does help if when you're going through the manufacturing process, if you have other games of similar sizes or other games with similar components that have already been printed if you can find those that will give you not the best idea of what your game might be like but it will give you some kind of approximation you can work with because a manufacturer unfortunately is not going to be able to give you the dimensions of your game or the weight of your game until it's already made um now is this something where you want to over think as far as like, all right, I think the game is going to be one kilogram. And so let me just assume it's going to be 1.3 or something like that. Um, it depends on how, I guess, safe you want to be with your budget. Um, but sometimes you can also ask the manufacturer for an approximate weight because it's possible that they may have extra components Um, that they'll be able to put together for you. And some manufacturers also do white samples, which is before the game is even printed with all of the artwork and stuff, they will make just like a completely blank game. So if your game is going to have 50 cards in it, it will, they'll put a box together with 50 blank cards. um, And then you'll be able to get an approximate weight off of that as well. Gotcha. Another thing to think about is, what are your plans for stretch goals and what are your plans for mm-hmm. add-ons? Are you going to have a play mat that gets added in there? Are you going to potentially add a bunch of wooden components to the game through a stretch goal or something like that or metal coins and it's going to vastly change the weight? You want to plan all of these things long, long before and Absolutely. have an idea, especially these heavy things. Now, if you're just adding two extra boss cards or something like that, it's not going to be a big deal. But if you're adding things that are going to be heavy especially things that are going to change the dimensions. If you're going to make the box bigger mm-hmm. or a play mat, that's going to be a lot bigger than your game. Definitely things to be thinking about on the front end. Mm-hmm. Okay. And especially so, things that are made out of wood or plastic. Yeah, absolutely. And so now we've worked with the manufacturer, the games have been printed and they're getting figured out. Now, now what, where do we go from here? What is that next step? And what are some of the things to be thinking about? So the step after that is, Um, getting the games from the manufacturer to the fulfillment partner that's going to ship them out. So this typically looks uh, like organizing a freight or a boat shipment. Uh, So there are two options that you can handle with this. You can either work directly with a freight and coordinate that yourself, or you can uh, coordinate on a top level between the fulfillment partner and the manufacturer, and then the fulfillment partner stays on top of those freights for you. So that's typically one 
that I gravitate towards and that I work with because that one is a little bit easier on the logistics side, which frees you up to really focus on more of the like the backer data and the spreadsheets and making sure everything is ready to go there. Um, but once things are loaded onto the boat, it is just a matter of time of waiting until they get to the fulfillment partner, which is probably one of the most frustrating parts of the process because the games are there and they exist and you have all of the backer data ready so that once they get to where they need to go, they can start shipping, but you just have to wait, which is, it can be so frustrating. Uh, but that process typically takes two to four months. I mean, it really depends on what the shipping climate is looking like. Then it depends on where you're shipping the games um, and what holidays might be happening because uh, that can affect when people are working and when they're available to take boats into port um, or transport those games. And then once they get finished with their process, they're going to arrive at the fulfillment center. And then at that point, you're ready to start processing and shipping out directly to backers. Gotcha. And yeah, holidays are definitely something to think about, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to Chinese New Year. If you're making your games Absolutely. in China, February is basically not going to happen for you. It's like three weeks in, in February that the Chinese factories close, the ports close, the shipping lanes close, everything close, closes. And so even if your game is finished in January, it's going to be really difficult to get that thing out of there uh, before Chinese New Year. You really have to hustle and it's something you want to make sure you're thinking about when it comes to your deadlines and your scheduling and timelines and all that kind of thing. And then, like you said, then games are out on a boat. And this is about the time where backers are sending you messages and saying, hey, where's my stuff? And all you can say is, uh, it's coming soon. And, and soon yeah. is like the only thing you can say, <laughs> soon-ish. And it can be challenging. And so just be prepared for that if you're running Kickstarter campaigns or pre-orders. that uh, It's going to be difficult to say because sometimes the ports get really backed up. And even when the boat arrives, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. It could still be mm -hmm. several weeks before the games actually leave the, the port. And so, yeah, definitely something to think about. Okay. So now that has happened. The games have crossed the ocean or crossed wherever they're, they're <laughs> going and they've gotten probably on a truck and now they're headed to the fulfillment center. What do I need to be thinking about when it comes to fulfillment centers, as far as location, you know, in the States, do I want to have a place that's kind of central in the, in the country? Is that going to be cheaper to ship things out if it's in the middle of the country versus on the coast or something like that? Or also, as far as games going into Europe, I know Brexit is messing with things right now and the EU mm -hmm. and all that. So do you have any advice on location of fulfillment centers that might end up saving a person money? So in terms of the U.S., I haven't seen it matter too, too much where the fulfillment center is based, um, especially if you're using USPS to deliver, which a lot of people typically do. Uh, most of their rates are going to be pretty reliable wherever you are in the U.S., um, if you are, what you don't want to do is ship to a different country uh, from within something else. So, for example, you don't want to be working with a fulfillment partner in Canada and then ship to the U.S. if you have the option to ship from within the U.S. in the first place. Because shipping from Canada to the U.S. is going to be more expensive than shipping from the U.S. to the U.S., Uh the Brexit is definitely making logistics trickier in Europe. Um, I 
believe, I mean, things are still actively changing, but I believe right now you're going to need a separate fulfillment partner within uh, the United Kingdom and then outside of that in the rest of Europe. So I think you need to be registered in both of them. Again, things are so weird right now and they're constantly changing. Um, But that is something that you need to consider is, especially for shipping within Europe, you need to consider how much are your VAT costs going to be um, when from where you're shipping to wherever your backer is. Um, And then if you can find fulfillment partners within the country that you're going to be shipping to, that can also make things easier. So for example, if you are using a fulfillment partner in the US and you're trying to ship to Asia, that is going to be more expensive than if you had a fulfillment partner already in Asia. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as the whole Brexit thing, please, if you're listening to this, don't take any of this as like legal advice or anything because things are very, very subject to change. I was talking mm-hmm. to some people that, that run a fulfillment company in the UK and they, they were telling me that the laws were being written even as the deadline was was there, you know, and so a lot of the, the law hadn't even been solidified yet. Things were changing even after the Brexit date passed. And so who knows at, at this point? So do your research. Talk to people who are, are familiar with it. Reach out to these fulfillment companies mm-hmm. and, and see what they say. You know, they might have some workarounds. They might have some different ideas as far as what you can do. It also might depend on what you're selling. If you do a Kickstarter campaign for a book or something like that, you might have different things to think about than if you're doing for a board game or something like that. Uh, And so that's also something to take into account. That changes depending on what you're selling. And so that's something to to be aware of. Uh, And like like you're saying, it's probably going to be a lot cheaper to ship directly from inside the country. But now, do you have any advice as far as like, what if I only have 10 games that got sold to people in Australia is, is there a better way to do it? Should I just eat the cost and ship it directly out of the States or out of Asia? Like, do I need to send it to a fulfillment center in Australia if I only have a handful of things? I think generally, I would say just eat the cost if you don't have that many. But it really is going to depend, to depend on what your budget is and what you're willing to do to stay within your budget and to save costs. So you're really going to need to do the research for each individual fulfillment partner that you're going to use to see if it's even worth doing that. So if you have 10 games that need to go to Australia and uh, it would be X amount to ship from the U.S., but it would be a couple of dollars cheaper to ship from Australia, are those couple of dollars that you're saving worth the extra hassle of coordinating a whole separate freight, um, coordinating building that partnership with that new fulfillment partner that you wouldn't have used otherwise. Um, it's a it's a kind of a balancing act that you're going to have to make that choice on to see whether or not it's right for your budget and whether or not you're willing to put in the extra work just to save a couple of dollars. Right. And again, it just goes into prior planning and also mm-hmm. just kind of understand the likelihood of you having a whole bunch of games to specific places. If, if you're a first-time creator and you've got a small game you're untested. If you don't, if you don't honestly think you're going to have a whole bunch of backers, it might be something to really be aware of because you don't want to charge $5 to ship to Australia when it's really going to cost you $25 because you're only going to have 10 people uh, from Australia back your game. So it's just something to be aware of and also be prepared to eat the cost a little bit and that might happen. And so, yeah, uh, it's just one of those things that it's hard to 
plan because you don't know how many people, but you can at the same time get a pretty decent idea. Like, are you going to have a hundred or are you going to have 10 or are you going to have a thousand? And, and you can kind of make some uh, decisions based on that. Now, when it comes to packaging, what are some things like, what are some best practices? What are some uh, things that you've seen work well? Like you don't want to over package. You don't want to have, you know, eight layers of bubble wrap around a game. And so what, what's your advice as far as making sure there's enough packaging in there to protect the game, but not too much that just adds a bunch of extra weight that's unnecessary? Um, the first thing I would say, and I guess this is just a caveat that I have with everything, is make sure that you're getting a really good quote from your fulfillment partner. So you could even ask them, how much would this be with packaging versus how much would this be without packaging? And they could give you those numbers um, and you can run that cost analysis yourself. So you definitely don't want to overpackage if you don't have to. So packaging is going to add money to your total shipping cost. And so if it's, it's kind of a hard line to find and it changes with every game of finding exactly how much packaging is going to make it so that most of the games don't get damaged and then how much is just extra packaging that's not going to be worth the extra cost. Um, so one of the things that you should be considering in that is how much is it going to cost for me to replace a game if it gets damaged or if it gets lost? So if a box gets really torn up, are you going to replace it with a full game? Or are you going to give a discount? Um, that should really be factoring into how much you want to pay for packaging as well uh, because the money that you are going to be spending on replacing or giving discounts for damaged packages is going to have to be weighed against how much it's going to cost to add packaging and it's hard to give kind of a best practice other than reaching out to your fulfillment partner and getting a quote of packaging versus not packaging and then comparing that cost to uh, how much it would cost to replace a game. Yeah, that's a really good point. And something just to be aware of, no matter how good a fulfillment company is, no matter how good things go, you're still going to have lost packages. Mm -hmm. You're still going to have damaged packages. Like no matter what, you're going to have a certain percentage of games that just end up either not getting where they're supposed to go or they end up getting there, but in a kind of rough shape. Mm -hmm. And so just be prepared, be aware of it. Like you said, um, factor that into your costs and, and just make uh make decisions accordingly. That's also something you need to consider way back when you're even starting to print. So when you're printing, you are going to have to tell the manufacturer how many games you want printed. So you're going to need to know how many do I need to fulfill my orders? How many do I want to have for retail sales or to give to distributors? And how many extras am I going to have to print? Or how many do I anticipate needing for replacements? Because you're going to have to factor those into your printing as well. Yeah, it's a really good point and making sure you're sending enough to the fulfillment center in that location. So if you have 10 that go missing or 10 that need to be replaced, then you've got at least 10 still, still at the fulfillment center that mm -hmm. they can send out and you're not having to ship it to Asia or to Australia from the States because that's where the bulk of all your games ended up. It's just something to uh, to think about. Do you have any uh, ideas on as far as best practices? Like you want to have 1% or you want to have X number extras or you want to send this many extra copies of the game to the fulfillment center, anything you mm -hmm. found, not necessarily like a specific, oh, you need 42 extras, but anything in general that you found that works really well? Um, I typically do five to 10% extra. Um, and 
depending on the fulfillment center, sometimes that's just like five extra copies and sometimes that's 50 extra copies. Um, it just kind of depends. I typically do five to 10%, but if you know that a specific country that you're operating within tends to have more lost packages, you should probably add some more to that. Okay. Are there any of those countries you, you know of that I can kind of have a heads up before having to learn it the hard way? Um, well, right now it's the U.S. just because the strain that the pandemic has put on the USPS. Well, in addition to just them being underfunded and short-staffed, the USPS is facing a lot more delayed and missing packages right now than they typically do. Right. And that is, that's especially true around holidays, around Christmas, around Thanksgiving. Things get crazy. I know this last Christmas I ordered something from Texas, I think, and I was shipping it to a friend in Pennsylvania, which is not too far away. It's not that it's not crazy. It's not California to New York or anything. And it took every bit of six weeks for it to get there. And it was just normal shipping. Like it should have taken like five to 10 days and it took Mm -hmm. six weeks and maybe even a little bit longer because it was Christmas and it was crazy. And so, yeah. The wildest one that I've seen so far is somebody whose package got shipped in September And by the time they didn't get it in November, we considered it lost, so we shipped them a replacement. But it got shipped in September, and then it just randomly arrived at their house um, in, like, mid-January. We had already shipped them a replacement because it had been months and we considered it lost. But that is the craziest one that I've seen so far. Yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, As far as the weight goes, what, what should I be thinking about as far as making sure my game doesn't weigh too much and putting me into higher brackets, you know, heavier brackets that all of a sudden increase the weight, the, uh, the price mm-hmm. by a whole lot. What are the things I need to be thinking about? And also, does it need to be in kilograms? Is, is that how I need to be thinking is, is metric <laughs> system? And if so, like, what are some of those thresholds I just need to, to make sure I'm aware of so I don't go from half a kilogram and then all the way up to two and, and now my game is $50 to ship instead of 10? Tell mm-hmm. me some of those best practices. Um, it's really going to depend on the fulfillment partner that you're using. So, all of them, unfortunately, tend to do their weights differently. So one of them might be getting weights in kilograms, and one of them might be getting it in ounces or pounds. Um, So you're probably going to have to do some conversion on that end. But the fulfillment partner that you're working with will be able to give you rate tables, and those breakdowns of rates for each weight vary between fulfillment partners. So... um, I've worked with a fulfillment partner in China who their rates are broken down by like, uh, I want to say it's like 10, like 5.5 kilograms and then another 0.5 kilograms. And then it jumps to like anything over that or uh, just wide gaps like that. Whereas somebody in the U.S. might be weighing things specifically by like 0.25 Um, ounces or something. So the weight breakdown is really going to depend on the fulfillment partner that you're using, which is why quoting is so, so important. Because if you're just basing uh, your shipping quotes off of one fulfillment partner, there's no guarantee that somebody in a different country that you're also going to be working with has a similar breakdown. So they might be categorizing their weights in a different way than somebody in a different country. Um, So it's really going to depend on your fulfillment partner, but that is why getting rates is so, so important so that you can compare because they're going to probably vary pretty drastically depending on the country. 
Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And, and also, if you see in a certain area that a fulfillment company has a big jump, if you go from 1.75 kilograms up to two, then make sure your game doesn't go up to two. And then you won't have to worry about that giant jump in the rate. And so maybe don't add that extra set of metal coins. You know, it's just something to to be aware of. And, and again, like you said, research and know and understand things on, things on the front end. Uh, when it comes to dates, we mentioned Chinese New Year a mm-hmm. bit ago, and that's something definitely to be aware of as far as dates. Any other dates uh, a person should be just aware of, should be thinking about? Mm-hmm. Um, late November and all of December is going to get super crazy because of Christmas. I mean, there are, there are fluctuations with any holiday that happens, but the two biggest ones you're going to see are Christmas and Chinese New Year. Gotcha. And that makes a lot of sense. I think there's also several other days and weeks in the year, just like every other country where China has holidays and they shut down. And so mm-hmm. be aware of that as well. I think one is in October, if I remember correctly, there's like a week that off. That sounds right. And yeah. And so just, just something to think about. Also from personal experience, January 1st is a date to be aware of because <laughs> that typically is when rates change as far as the United, uh, United States Postal Service and other mm-hmm. uh, postal services around the world, they update their rates. And let me tell you, rates have never gone down. They've never made <laughs> anything cheaper on January 1st. And so you can expect something to either stay the same, that happens, but more than likely it's going to go up. And the question is, how much? Is it going to be 1%? Is it going to be 10%? Because I've seen both of those. And is it going to be in a category that affects you specifically, because it might not, it might be something totally different that you don't have to worry about because that's not the kind of package, not the size, not the weight, whatever that you're shipping, but it might be something you are right in the middle of, and it's going to cost you 10% more because you shipped January 2nd versus December 31st. And Mm -hmm. so something else to just be aware of, especially when you're getting quotes for this year, when you're going to ship next year and, and just be aware of that, that shipping is going to increase. We don't know about how much, but it's probably going to increase. And so go ahead and build that into your budget, build it into how much you're charging. And, and just you just have to guess. I mean, just put 3% or 6%, whatever. I mean, the more you put in there, the more people are going to be annoyed by it. At the same time, the safer you are as far as not having to worry about undercharging. And so uh, what, any, any thoughts on that? Um, sometimes the fulfillment partner can give you an estimate of how much they expect shipping to go up so they can look back at the shipping rate increases or changes for X amount of years and try to give you an idea of what might happen. But again, there's no, they can't guarantee it. Like they're not the ones that are in charge of the shipping prices. Um, So, I mean, you can ask sometimes to get an approximation of how much they're expecting, but it is, it's really just a guessing game. (laughs) Now, when it comes to size of a game, size of a package, what should I be thinking about? Does it really matter if my my game comes in a big horizontal box versus a big square box? Is it really the weight that matters or does the size play into things as well? Depending on your fulfillment partner, the size can factor into it as well, but primarily it's going to be weight. So sometimes if somebody is factoring in the dimensions, what they'll do is they'll have a formula that'll figure out the rate of the game and it'll have dimensions times weight times some kind of rate plus if a handling fee if there's some kind of handling fee Uh, so that's one option if it does take dimensions into account but most of the time it's going to be really based on weight okay that's definitely something to uh, just keep in mind that it can have an effect Uh, another thing to think about is if you're going to have like a play mat or something additional to your game that is much bigger or the size is, is different 
for instance, I had a, a game recently that the game actually comes in a pretty small box, but the play mat is this long tubular kind of thing. And so it makes the box a lot bigger. You have to ship it in a much bigger box than you would normally have to mm-hmm. for the game. And that's going to affect the rate. It's going to make it more expensive. So just something to, uh, to be aware of. Yeah. And having mismatched size, um, games or products included in the same box can also increase or decrease your packaging as well. So if you have like a really long play mat and then a teeny tiny box, you're going to have to fill up that space um, next to the box um, inside the package. Otherwise that box is going to bounce around a lot and it's more likely to get damaged. Yeah, that's a really good point. Also, if you're shipping multiple games in the same package, same, same thing, you don't want things to move around. You want things to be as stable and as sturdy as possible. Otherwise, like you said, lots of damage. And so I want to circle back just for a second. I wrote down labels as something to be aware of. Tell me about, like, what does that mean exactly? Why, why do I need to worry about labels? Uh, when is that part of the process? What needs to be on there? Tell me more. Um, is this labels like on cartons after the manufacturer or labels on specific individual games? Anything as far as labels and making sure I have the, the right info and, and do I need stickers? Do I need made in China on the outside of the cartons? Like, Tell me anything sticker wise, label wise that needs to go on boxes at any time. So the biggest thing that you're typically going to see um, label wise is a carton marker. So when you have an individual game, when they're packaged inside of one box and shipping to the fulfillment center. So if you have like six games in one box and they ship the one big box to the fulfillment center, that's going to be what a carton is. So typically when you're shipping from the manufacturer to your fulfillment partner, you're going to need carton markers on each of those boxes. So that essentially just tells the fulfillment center what product is in this box, what's the SKU so that they can easily identify it in their system. Um, Sometimes it has what the weight of the thing is or what the dimensions are. Um, And then it has basically any kind of identifying information that the fulfillment partner is going to need to be able to see, okay, in this unidentifiable brown box, these are the products that are in it so that they know where to store it in their warehouse. So typically your fulfillment partner is going to tell you exactly what's going to be needed on that. And they may even be able to just give you a template that you fill in. Um, Usually you just have to fill it in and then send it to your manufacturer and then they will put it on the cartons and then be able to coordinate that to the fulfillment partner. Okay. That makes sense. Now, when it comes to spreadsheets and all the information, the data and all that, do you have any advice on best practices, things you want to make sure you have, things that you don't need that often show up, it's just not necessary? Give me anything, any thoughts on spreadsheets and information as far as like making sure you have all the backer data and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Well, the biggest thing to know about spreadsheets is that if you think that there is a way that this could be done easier, there's definitely a way that you can do it easier. So there is no reason if you're working with a backer spreadsheet that has 50,000 backers on it, there's no reason you need, to, you need to edit each of those manually if you have to edit something. Scripting and functions and spreadsheets are your best friends when it comes to data because um, it makes things way faster. It automates things, which frees up a lot of 
space in your calendar and also in your brain for you to focus on other stuff. Um, but also it takes out a lot of the user error that could go into that. Um, my goal with spreadsheets typically is to get the spreadsheet where I need to get it with the least amount of me interacting with it. Because the more I interact with a spreadsheet, the more chance there is that human error has messed something up. So I want to try to get it from whatever pledge manager you're using to the fulfillment partner in the correct way, but with me touching it like the least that I can. Um, one thing that I would say for scripting and functions, the internet is super great for being able to find functions that will make your job a lot easier. Um, but if you can find somebody that can do scripting and functions for you on your spreadsheet and they are really, really good at it and you're not that great at it, if you have to pay them like $20 an hour or something or however much their rate is to handle that for you, it is going to make your life so much easier than you trying to handle it. Yeah, I completely, completely, 100%, absolutely, <laughs> positively agree on that, especially if this is just not your deal. If you're just mm -hmm. not good with spreadsheets, if you're not good with the functions and the math and like all the things together, or if you just don't have time, if you'd rather spend your time on other things like designing games or hanging out with your kids, like either way, like whatever you, you like, it's fine. Like hire somebody to do this. And let, let's talk about that for just a second. What does it look like to hire a freelancer? Where can I find somebody? How do I reach out? How do I communicate? Tell me the best practices as far as reaching out to somebody else and help and, and asking them, paying them to help me do these things. Mm -hmm. So uh, a good first place to look for people that are freelancing are uh, reaching out to people that you know that are already doing stuff in the industry. So like you said, you reached out to Peter. Um, he is somebody that has a lot of great contacts. So if you know somebody that knows somebody, um, usually just taking advantage of your network can really help you find people that maybe are like one or two degrees of separation away from you. Um, but also just keeping an eye on the community in general and staying active um, is a really good way to hear about people that are doing stuff also. So I am on Twitter a lot, keeping up with the board game stuff that happens there. So a lot of people will talk about the stuff that they're doing in freelancing or the projects that they're working on on their social media accounts. So if you're staying engaged with people in the community, that's also a really good way to just see people talking about the cool stuff that they're already doing. Now, when it comes to actually working with somebody else, what information do I need to have ready? What's the, the What are some best practices as far as like communication? Tell me from that side of thing, like once I'm, once I'm actually working with a person helping me with this, how do I make sure that I do it effectively? Mm -hmm. My biggest tip would be make sure all of your expectations are clear at the beginning. So those expectations are when and where are we going to be communicating? So are we primarily using email? Are we using Slack uh, or Discord or anything like that? So knowing where and when you're communicating and how quickly you can typically expect a turnaround to be is going to be it's going to do wonders for your working relationship with them because communication is such such an important thing between a freelancer and a publisher. So, for example, if you have a freelancer who is expecting a 2-day turnaround to be pretty normal, 
and you as a publisher are expecting a turnaround on a request to be less than 24 hours, if you never communicate that and both of you just start going on what you think is correct, there's going to be a lot of frustration and tension there. So you really need to communicate that up front. So knowing when and where you're going to communicate, how often you're going to communicate. Um, If you are the freelancer, I would highly recommend having a list already ready of everything you need to know before you start a project. Um, That way, when a new client reaches out to you, you already have a list prepared. There's less of a chance of you forgetting something that you need. And then it's easy for you to just send right over. Um, And this is obviously going to be dependent on the project. But for logistics, you might need something like the backer reports. You might need how many uh, copies of each product were made at the manufacturer. What are the SKUs? What are the dimensions, the weight? All that kind of stuff. Anything that you will possibly need within that process, try to have it written up front so that you can get that right off the bat instead of starting to get into your workflow and then realizing you're missing something and then you have to wait to get that from the publisher or the client uh, because that can really just slow down your whole process. Right. And like you said, just make sure all the expectations are out in the open right at the beginning as far as timing, as far as payments, as far as all the different things that go into a working relationship with somebody Mm -hmm. and, and making sure everybody is on the same page. Now, let's say for a moment that I am a person who loves spreadsheets and I do understand logistics and shipping and all that. Maybe I want to become a freelancer and make a little side money working with companies. How would I do that? What what would be your advice as far as getting into the industry in that way? Um, Well, it's really going to start with you getting involved in the industry and the community uh, as just a person that enjoys games before you try to insert yourself as somebody wanting work. So, That's going to look a lot like trying to establish real connections with people that are in the industry, just being present so that if somebody sees you post on, post a comment on something that they wrote, they won't think, oh, there's that random person that I've never seen before. They'll think, oh, that's Sarah. She posts in this forum regularly. Just having a little bit of name recognition in terms of being involved. So being in the Board Game Design Lab Facebook group would be a great way to regularly interact um, with community members. So being a part of the community, just first and foremost, as somebody that likes games and wants to be in the community. And then from that point on, trying to show people basically that you know what you're talking about. Um, So that can look like going on podcasts like we're doing right now, um, just to show people that You have expertise and people can reach out to you if they need help and so that they know that if they reach out to you, you're actually going to be able to help them. Um, Being on podcasts, um, doing guest posts on blogs, anything like that that can help show people that you know what you're talking about, that's going to make you a lot more likely to be able to reach potential clients. Uh, well, one thing I definitely want to ask real quick is, do you have any uh, suggestions or recommendations for fulfillment centers or fulfillment partners to work with? Anyone that you've worked with in the past that you had a really good experience and, and want to share with people just in case they're trying to do mm-hmm. research and, and find ones of their own? I have really enjoyed working with Quartermaster Logistics. So they're based in the U.S. and their customer support is really good. They're really quick on uh, responding to any requests that you have and helping you fix um 
problems and sometimes they're able to handle customer requests directly. Like if somebody is missing a package, QML can sometimes handle it themselves. Um, but I, I've really enjoyed working with Quartermaster. Okay. Do you have any recommendations for outside the U.S.? Any, any of those companies? I have worked with VFI some and Aetherworks. They typically handle like Australia, New Zealand, Asia kind of area, and they're pretty good. Um, and then depending on what you're shipping, send from China can sometimes have really good rates. But send from China is very, very dependent on weight. So if your game is over a certain amount of weight, it's probably not going to be worth doing send from China. Yes. Uh, you and I have learned that <laughs> firsthand here recently, working on some of my stuff. It's like, oh, well, that's a... Uh... That's not the cost I thought it was going to be. So, yeah, again, research and understanding things uh, going in is definitely, definitely the way to go. And also just being flexible, uh, problem solving, figuring out ways to work around things, figuring out ways to do things differently uh, when things don't go your way because they're probably not going to. Mm -hmm. Things are going to change. Things are going to pop up that uh, cause you to have to stay up late into the night <laughs> coming up with solutions. But that's okay. That's part of the whole process. And one more thing that I would say about fulfillment centers is that it, it's really good to establish a relationship with the fulfillment partners that you are intending to use um, longer term. So that can sometimes, if you have a good relationship, get you potential rate breaks um, if you need discounts or um, being able to have a good relationship with them typically, or not typically, but sometimes it can mean that they're more willing to help you if some kind of weird problem comes up. So really, really try to establish a good relationship with the partners that you're trying to use. And that's not only fulfillment partners, that's also manufacturers, um, your freelancers, your artists, anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sarah, where can people find you online if they want to hire you, if they want to reach out and maybe just ask a question or figure out, you know, would this be a good relationship to, to hire you for their project? Where do they find you? So if you're looking for freelance stuff, you can email me at info at sarahperry.org, S-A-R-A-P-E-R-R-Y.org. Um, if you are interested in seeing pictures of my puppy and my garden and stuff, you can follow me on Twitter at sarahperry96. Well, Sarah, this has been excellent. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts? Anything you want to leave listeners with when it comes to logistics? Um, I, I would really just stress the importance of make sure you are getting all kinds of quotes throughout the whole process and uh, even just getting updated quotes if it's been a while since you got one. Um, but yeah, quoting, quoting is super, super important, super vital to make sure that your projects are actually as financially successful as you want them to be. Right. The old adage is measure twice, mm -hmm. cut once. For this, I would say feel free to measure 10 times to cut yeah. once. Feel free to measure as many times as you can find people to measure the, the project with and then cut once and get the best deal at the with the best company to uh, to work with. Well, sir, you got a game on Kickstarter right now. Give me like the two-minute elevator pitch for that. Yes. So the game is A Gift of Tulips. It's from Weird Draft Games. And the whole story of it is you are at the Tulip Festival in Amsterdam and you are building up your bouquet of flowers and you're sharing them with uh, your other players. So basic gist is on your turn, you're going to draw a card and take an action and, on, and then you're going to draw another card and take a different action. So you're going to spend the game building up your, your set of flowers and tulips that are going to score points at the end of the game. Um, you can give tulips to other people 
and add them to their bouquet and you get points immediately for what that flower is currently worth and then they'll score at the end of the game. And then you can also add flowers into the center, which is going to change how much all the flowers are worth, which is the really fun part because sometimes you can give a really fancy flower to somebody and get a lot of points instantly and then tank it by the end of the game so it might not be worth very much for them or it might go the opposite way and it might be worth a lot and you uh didn't get very many points for what it was worth did you uh did you create a stock market game and then put flowers on it i created a game i wanted to be about (laughs) flowers and then about a year into playing it everybody i played with it was like Sarah, this is a stock market game. Why did, <laughs> why did you do, why'd you theme it this way? It was totally unintentional. Well, to be honest, I would rather trade flowers than trade stocks. Uh, if we're talking <laughs> about a board game, yeah, so that's that's pretty cool. And uh, anyway, hope it does really well. But Sarah, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with the continued logistics and getting <laughs> more people to to help. And you know, you, you've helped me a ton, and I really appreciate all the work you've done for me. It's been a phenomenal. Uh, experience working with you, I highly recommend. You know, anyone listening to this, reach out to Sarah if you're if you got a project, if you got a, a game or a Kickstarter or something like that that you're trying to get from from the manufacturer to people's tables, then Sarah or someone to help you with logistics, I highly recommend. But I definitely recommend her uh, specifically. <laughs> and so, Thank yeah, you. good luck. Yeah, and good luck with the rest. Uh, good luck with that kind of work and uh, your Kickstarter and everything else you got going on right now. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?